Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline, invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. For extra driving pleasure, the signal to look for is the yellow and black circle sign that identifies signal service stations from Canada to Mexico. And for Sunday evening listening pleasure, the signal to listen for is this whistle that identifies the signal oil program, The Whistler. Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales, hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now, the Whistler's strange story, Trigger Man. Martin Lang was young, brilliant, and confident. He had everything it took to make him one of Seattle's most successful lawyers. But law school graduates were a dime a dozen, regardless of how confident and brilliant they were. And Stella and the baby had to eat. So that was why Martin Lang took his first case from Branch Malone, a notorious gambler, and got an acquittal for him. The first of a long line of acquittals. Yes. And Martin Lang's classmates threw up their hands, said he was betraying his profession. But Martin needed money, and he kept telling himself he had to get a start somewhere. So he kept right on getting acquittals for Branch Malone, and the money kept rolling in. But it had to end sometime. There had to be a payoff eventually. Gentlemen of the jury, have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. How do you find? We find the defendant not guilty. Very well. The clerk will record the verdict of the jury. Defendant is discharged from custody. Jury is dismissed. Court stands adjourned. Oh, uh, Mr. Lang. You wanted to see me, Your Honor? Yes, Mr. Lang. I suppose I should compliment you on the way you handled the case for Mr. Malone. Well, I did my best, Your Honor. It was more than enough. Is that all, sir? Mr. Lang, I don't like to see a clean-cut young fellow like you get mixed up with an out-and-out -out criminal like Branch Malone. I thought the jury found him innocent. They found insufficient evidence to convict him, Mr. Lang. That does not necessarily imply his innocence. You pleaded his case well. Doubtless you'll be able to do the same for him again. If you're willing to pay the price. The price? The price is your conscience. Your peace of mind. Well, I... I appreciate your interest in me, Your Honor. But I'm afraid that I... Uh... Not impressed. That it? Will that be all, Your Honor? Yes, Lang, that's all. Very well. Good day, sir. Good day. Hello, Lang. 
Oh, hello, Lieutenant. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. You know, sometimes I'm sorry I'm on the force, fussing around with small stuff like murders, and I could be doing a great work like you are, upholding the rights and defending poor, innocent little guys like Branch Malone. Well, this seems to be lecture day. You'll excuse me, Radigan. I have an appointment. Yeah, 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 sure. I saw him. Malone the Mighty. He's waiting outside with your payoff. Now, look, Radigan, I, I don't... I got a tip for you, Counselor. It's about cops. Don't give us the brush off. Because one of these days, you're going to need us. Guys who play bang-bang with the big racket boys usually do. You know, I like you. You're a good kid. You got a nice family. Haven't you got any worries of your own, Radigan? Okay, Martin. Sorry. You're on your way, aren't you, Martin? Another acquittal. Another $500 in your pocket. It doesn't matter where it comes from, does it? Malone's money is as good as anybody's. And you keep telling yourself there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. That night, as you sit in your living room reading the paper, you try to reason it through, file it away. But it keeps coming back. <clears throat> uh, Stella. Yes, Martin? Is anything wrong? Wrong? No. I thought something might be bothering you. No. There's nothing, Martin. I thought you'd be happy about the case and everything. We can buy that dining room set now. Yes. Yes, we can. Well, the case was a cinch. $500 for an afternoon's work. That's not bad. No. Not bad. There's nothing to it. State's evidence was insufficient. One of their witnesses didn't show up. Same as the time before. Uh, yeah. And they found the witness at the bottom of the river three days later. Well, I, I didn't have anything to do with that. No. no, of course you didn't. Well, Stella, you're not suggesting I drop Malone, are you? I mean, I know he's no angel, but if I wasn't getting his business, some other attorney would. A lawyer isn't a criminal just because he defends one, is he? You're defending yourself now, aren't you? Oh, now, wait a minute. I'm not going through that again. I've told you a hundred times, Stella. I've... I'll get it. Hello? Oh, yes, Branch. What? Oh. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, sure. Sure, I'll be glad to. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I'll do it right away. What does he want now? He wants me to meet a friend of his and rush him home. His boy was just run over. How terrible. Branch isn't good at this sort of thing. He wants me to tell a fellow and then take him home. Of course, Martin. Just a little favor for Branch Malone, Martin. It's the least you can do, isn't it? The tavern is only a few blocks away. And when you arrive, you find Mr. Williams in a back booth, just where Malone said he'd be. Are you Fred Williams? Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you want? I'm afraid I have some bad news. Bad news? It's about your son. Lenny? Yeah, he's had an accident. An accident? Lenny? He was run over. No. No, where is he? I gotta go to him. He's home. Come on, my car's yeah. outside. Thanks. Thanks a lot. 
My car's right here. How did it happen? Tell me. This is it. Now, if you'll tell me where you live, yeah, I... I'll... Hello, Counselor. Branch. What are you doing here? Little business deal, Martin. All right, Williams, get in. No. No, Branch, please. I said get in. Branch, I, I won't talk. I won't say a thing. I'll leave town. I swear it. Put the gun away, Branch. Sorry, Williams. <laughs> All right, Martin. Get in. Let's get out of here. Branch, you shot him. I said get in, Martin. Kind of quiet for a lawyer, Martin. I, I lured him to his death. <laughs> you, you didn't expect me to go into that crowded bar, did you? Be seen with Williams? That story about his son being run over, it wasn't true. Ah, come on, forget it, Martin. You did a good job. You got nothing to worry about. So long as we're friends. Williams. Who was he, Branch? Oh, I thought I told you, Martin. He's the state's witness who didn't show up this afternoon. discovered something, haven't you? The judge in Radigan. Even your wife, Stella, tried to tell you, but you couldn't understand until now. It happened so suddenly that it stunned you. The witness, Williams, is dead, and you unknowingly lured him to his death, right to Branch Malone, and stood by like one of his gunmen while Branch pulled the trigger. You're trapped, aren't you, Martin? Because you're the only witness living who could put a rope around his neck. And you know exactly how Branch Malone feels about that kind of a witness. There's nothing to do but keep your mouth shut and hope for the best. The next morning, you arrive late at your office and find your secretary waiting. I've been trying to get you, Mr. Lang. I'm sorry. I wasn't feeling well. I went for a walk. Something's come up that I Well, they can wait till tomorrow. I'm going home. I'm afraid they can't wait. Mr. Jarrett called about the watch. That can wait. Then there was a call from Mr. Malone. Uh, What? When? About an hour ago. He wants to see you. Oh, all right. Um, is he at his club? At the city jail. He was booked this morning on suspicion of murder. Hey, I'm Mr. Lang. Hello, Counselor. Come on in. Make yourself cozy. Ten minutes. What's happened, Branch? I thought you might know, Counselor. Cops were tipped off to that Williams killing last night. What? Yeah. What? Now, wait a minute. Don't look at me. You don't think I... I didn't say nothing. Well, listen, I'd be crazy to do anything like that, Branch. Sure. Sure you would. That's what I told Spike Robertson. Spike Robertson? Who's he? He's the man the newspapers referred to as my trigger man, Martin. Don't believe you ever met him. Nice guy to have on your side when you're in a spot. We have... Well, we've been trying to figure out if any witnesses might have been around last night. That is any beside you, I mean. Oh, Branch, believe me, I didn't talk, and I'm not going to. That's what I told Spike. Spike said, don't worry, boss, if they pick you up. When there's no witness, there's no case. You can figure that one out for yourself, can't you, Counselor? 
Well, sure, Branch. There won't be any prosecution witnesses, Martin, because you're the only one, and you ain't going to be on the witness stand. You're going to defend me. You know, just like before, only this time Spike's going to be real interested in how you're doing. You get it? Lang. Uh, oh. Oh, it's you, Lieutenant Radigan. A little jumpy, aren't you? What do you want? Got it all settled with Branch Malone? Heard you just had a chat with him down in cell block nine. I'm sorry, Radigan. I haven't got time to stand I around and listen. I know, I know. You're a very busy man. But you're playing with dynamite this time, Sonny. Your uh, friend knows that all these blue chips are on the table. Because whoever put the finger on Williams in that bar is the guy who's going to hang him. And this time, so help me, the witness isn't going to disappear. What are you getting at, Radigan? You got to take your choice this time, Martin. Oh, I still think you're a good guy. I still think you're on the right side. Maybe you don't know it yet, but you are. And I think you know enough about this case to hang Malone. And I think you'll come through for us. But when you do, it's going to be dangerous. Why are you telling me all this? I wanted you to know why I'm putting a tail on you. What? Mm-hmm. He's going to watch over you day and night. And if you know what's good for you, you won't try to give him the slip. Is this for my protection? Or is it... Like uh... I said, Mark. This time, the guy we think is an eyewitness isn't going to disappear. That puts it up to you, doesn't it, Martin? You can take your choice. Go along with Branch Malone and toss the rest of your life into the ash can. Or tell what you know and face Spike Robertson, Branch Malone's so-called trigger man. And you won't have a chance because you don't know what Spike looks like. You've never seen him. All you know is that he's never missed yet. That when Branch gives him the order, the witness uh, disappears. You can't eat, you can't sleep, and worst of all, you can't explain to Stella. Martin. Yeah? What are you going to do? Oh, will you forget it, Stella? Branch Malone is my client. I've got to defend him. Do you? Of course I do. Why, Martin? You know he's guilty. Why must you involve yourself in it any further? You've got a right to turn him down. He doesn't own Stella, you. Stella, please. If you defend him, you're as guilty as he is. Where are you going? Out. Come on, friend. We may as well be sociable. Sorry, Mr. Wright. Oh, I know you're the tail Lieutenant Radigan put on me. He told me himself. <laughs> Redigan told you then? Hmm. Wonder why he doesn't tell me these things. Did he tell you my name, too? No. Well, you know everything else. You might as well know that. It's Ed Morris. Okay, Ed. I saw you following me all afternoon. I thought you did. Thought I'd walk around the block, if you don't mind. Why not? Radigan would get a bang out of this, I suppose. Walking around together this way. The boss just said to keep an eye on you. He didn't care how. Is that all he said? That's all. Uh, say, there's a bar down the street here. I don't want to go on any bars. Maybe it's just this bar. Huh? Maybe because it's the one where Williams was. I said I don't want to go on any bars. All right, Martin. Anything you say. Just as long as you're a good boy. I've changed my mind about taking a walk, Ed. I think I'll go home. Yes, Martin, you're on a one-way street, a blind alley. 
There's no way to turn now, and there's a blank wall at the end. You've got to take the case. It's more than a matter of right and wrong. Yes, Martin, at this point, it's life or death. So you go to work on it. Visit Branch Malone every day in his cell. Spend nights at the office preparing the case, plugging loopholes, anticipating points the prosecution is sure to bring out, making it another sure thing for Branch. You have two weeks until the arraignment, and Branch Malone wants bail. Two weeks without sleep, forgetting to eat, until you're almost ready to crack. And worst of all, you can't tell Stella. There's no way to make her understand. And then suddenly, on the night before the arraignment, you can't hold out on her any longer. Martin. Martin, darling, you're worried sick. Why don't you tell me about it? You can't go on this way. Oh, please, Stella, there's nothing. Are you afraid to tell me? No, no, I... I... Why did you lie to me, Martin? Why did you tell me you had nothing to do with the murder? Williams was the man you met that night, wasn't he? Listen, Stella, you've got to forget it. Please, don't even think... What are you afraid of? I... All right, I'll tell you. I'm the witness. I'm the only one who can hang Branch. Lieutenant Radigan knows that they all do, but they have no proof. Now, that's why that guy's always waiting for me across the street, Stella. He's a plainclothes man, one of High Radigan's boys, protecting me. Protecting you? Yeah, his name's Ed Morris. Radigan knows if I open my mouth, I'm dead. But if that's all there was to it, I wouldn't worry. It's you, too, and Susan, don't you see? Malone won't stop at anything. His gunman, Spike Robertson's waiting for me somewhere. Waiting for me to open my mouth. And if I do, the guard won't make any difference. Spike won't stop until he gets us all. Martin, I... Well, now you know it. You were right, all of you. But it's too late now. So you're going to defend him. And let it happen again and again. Yes. Martin, I want you to stand up at the arraignment tomorrow and tell them everything. Oh, don't be ridiculous. We'll take our chances, Martin. Susan and you and I. It has to be that way, dear. If we don't, there's nothing left, don't you see? No, I'm afraid I don't. Please, Martin. You just don't know, Stella. You have no idea. I do. I'd rather be dead. Don't even say it. I don't want to hear it. No, you better go on to bed, dear. I've got to do some thinking. What are you pacing the floor for, Martin? I'm the one who ought to be worrying. What time is it, Branch? Uh, it's 12.30. Raymond's set for one, ain't it? Yeah. And have a smoke. Got a half hour. No, thanks. You're... Still sure of yourself, ain't you? I'll get bail for you. That's a good thing to know. You and me are going to do big things together, Martin. You're a smart boy. Branch. Yeah? Branch, what if I told you this was going to be the last time? Yeah. That if I get you out of this one, we're all washed up. What do you mean, if, Martin? All right, when I get you out of this one. How long have you been thinking this over? I don't know. I just I don't... don't like it, Martin. You just don't run out on this kind of a partnership. Not when a guy knows as much as you do. Oh, I'm not going to talk if that's what's worrying you. You're wrong, Martin. I'm not worried. Okay, it's the last time if you want it that way. Of course, you won't be taking cases from anyone else either. But if you say it's the last time, there's nothing I can... What do, do you mean, Branch? 
Well, I'm not in charge of ending partnerships, Barton. I leave that to my partnership ender, Spike Robertson. So you go into the courtroom, Martin, and half listen to the statement of evidence from the prosecution as you think about the one-way street with Spike waiting at the end. Stella is there watching you, her face white and tense. Branch, confident, half-smiling. Wondering what you'll say when the time comes. And then finally it comes. And you find yourself on your feet and going into I your act. And remind the court that the so-called evidence presented by the prosecution is neither circumstantial evidence nor is it direct evidence. It's nothing, gentlemen. Nothing but suspicion based simply on the fact that it is alleged that uh, my client had ample and uh, sufficient motive uh, uh, to, uh, to... Stella is not looking at you now, Martin. She's bent over, her face in her hands. Radigan is turning away. The judge is looking down at the bench. Uh, William's connection has yet to be demonstrated to the satisfaction of either the state or... Uh, or... I can't go on, Your Honor. I ask that the court disqualify me as counsel for the defense. And... And I offer myself as principal witness for the prosecution. It's a new world, isn't it, Martin? There's a different feel to the sidewalk under your feet as you start home late that night after filing your sworn statement of the killing with the district attorney's office. The streets are bare and deserted. Just you and Ed Morris, the guard Lieutenant Radigan appointed to protect you. Well, I missed you when I left the courthouse, Ed. I was there. Don't worry. Looks like you've got a job on your hands now. I'm ready. That was quite a thing you pulled. I thought Malone was going to pass out in his chair. You know, it's funny, Ed. Now that it's over, I'm not scared at all. They sent two men along with your wife. Stake out at your house, you know. Yeah. Oh, this is the car. Yeah. Hop in. Oh! Bye. That's right. Well, Martin, it seems Branch Malone didn't waste any time, does it? Two shots and Ed Morris, the guard, lies dead at your feet. You look at the killer standing in front of you and the gun still smoking in his hand. There's nothing you can do, no way to turn. Ten, perhaps fifteen minutes left to live. Long enough for him to take you to a lonely spot on the highway and make another witness disappear. And then, strangely, you find yourself thinking of the sworn statement safe in the district attorney's office. And stranger still, you discover you still aren't afraid. There's no use checking him, he's dead. Yeah. I don't miss very often. Well, what do we do now? Maybe we better call the coroner. What are you talking about? That's what we usually do with stiff slang. 
I don't get it, Spike. Spike? You're Branch Malone's man, aren't you? <laughs> You're a little confused, brother. That's Spike Robertson on the ground there. He's been telling you since the Williams killing. But he didn't know Lieutenant Radigan had me telling him. My name's Stanley, DA's office. Remember, at the same time next Sunday, another strange tale by The Whistler. Your announcer has been Marvin Miller. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And now, stay tuned for the program that is rated tops in popularity for a longer period of time than any other West Coast program in radio history. The Signal Oil Program, The Whistler. Signal, the famous go-farther gasoline, invites you to sit back and enjoy another strange story by The Whistler. I am The Whistler, and I know many things, for I walk by night. I know many strange tales hidden in the hearts of men and women who have stepped into the shadows. Yes, I know the nameless terrors of which they dare not speak. And now for the Signal Oil Company, the Whistler's strange story. Returned with the spray. It was a quiet wedding in a small church in San Diego, but everyone who counted considered it the most important social event of the season. Elliot Darby, the last surviving member of one of the city's oldest families, was being united with his second cousin, Catherine Peabody. You stand at the altar, Elliot, immaculate in your striped trousers and morning coat facing the aisle that Catherine will walk to become your bride. Inside, you feel none of the nervousness attributed to bridegrooms, only deep satisfaction with the turns of fortune. You let your eyes roam over your wedding guests, most of them family friends. And suddenly, seated only a few feet away from you, you see her, her face looking up at you with a mocking smile. No, it can't be. And then you feel your knees buckling... Somebody get a doctor. How could she be there, Elliot? 
Her eyes mocking you, smiling at your shock, reveling in it. It takes you back, doesn't it, Elliot? Just a few weeks ago, really. At a meeting with your lawyer when he gave you the verdict. That's about the size of it, Elliot. You're broke. Not very pleasant, but, well, there it is. I didn't dream it was that bad. Well, you still have clear title on your cabin cruiser. It might bring in... No, no, I, I won't sell the adventurer. Dad bought that for me when I was graduated from college. All of us have been in love with that boat. Well, that's up to you. I, I don't know what to do exactly. From where I sit, Elliot, there are only two things you can do. What's that? Either find some suitable work or marry quickly and wisely. Well, Elliot, work's out of the question. And that leaves only to marry quickly and wisely. It's obvious, then, that you think of Catherine. Obvious, too, that her father, Thomas Peabody, managed their money far better than you have the Darbys. So you turn to Catherine, arrange dinner with her in her home a few evenings later. Catherine, this, this lobster is superb. You've been very complimentary this evening. My dress, my wine, now my lobster. And I just can't help it, but your flattery always makes me suspicious. It should you have every reason to believe I'm after your money. Yes, I'm afraid I do. And let's face it, it's partly true. But that's not the whole story, Cass. No, there's, there's no point in pretending I'm hopelessly in love with you. <laughs> I know very well you're not. But I'm not looking for that in a woman. I want someone I can be fond of and comfortable with. A stable person. That's more or less my view. In that case, I... Oh, Cass, why don't we get married? I should like to very much. Settle that. Uh, don't kiss me yet, Elliot. I'd like to say something first. Yes? I learned very early in life that I'm not an attractive woman. Oh, now, Cass, really... Now, let me finish. The one thing I can always depend on is my wealth. And I intend to keep complete control of it, even after I'm married. In other words, you're saying you don't trust me. You nor any other male. I suppose you plan to give me a small sum for cigarette money every week. No, that's huh? unkind. I was going to appoint you manager of the Peabody department store. Had a good salary. Yeah. For all your other faults, Elliot, you have a very good mind. Special talent for order and detail. A man of habit. Now, let's see. It's, it's Wednesday evening. That means billiards at your club. Promptly at 8.30. Why... Yes, that's right. And I dare say you still take your boat, the adventurer, on an afternoon cruise every Sunday? Yes, I do, religiously. You're a wonder, Kath. You really do know me, don't you? Later, when you leave her, you go to your club, but only for a while. Then you get in your car, drive around. And the more you think about it, the madder you get. If you marry Catherine, you'll become another of her possessions, her errand boy. You have to think, Elliot. You stop at a bar on the outskirts of town, and you do think and drink for a long time. You ignore the talkative bartender. You ignore everything. Are you really as far away as you look? Huh? Well, no. No, not really. That's good. Come on, let's talk. 
People call me Yvette. People are lucky. My name is uh, Edward. Edward Duncan. Hello, Ed. Now, first we'll talk about you, and then we'll talk about me. Oh, no. You have to start off first. Oh, there's nothing much to tell about me. I'm just a small-town girl looking for a job and friends. Nice friends. Think you found a nice friend? I think so. Good. Uh, you sold on this bar? Not particularly. Well, let's get out of here. There's a lot of other places. We'll do them all. Doesn't sound like fun. Sounds wonderful, darling. And that's all you remember, Elliot, until the bright midday sun awaits you. It's quite a shock to find yourself sprawled on the deck of your cruiser, the adventurer tied to the dock. You shade your eyes from the sun, look about you, and try to remember what happened, how you got here. With effort, you get up, stumble to the rail, and squint out at the dock. And then you see her, and suddenly you remember Yvette. Hey, wake up! Climb me aboard! What? Of course, of course. Uh. Well, you don't look so bad. I guess the driver took pretty good care of you after all. Yes, sir. Driver? Taxi driver. He could carry you. I couldn't. Oh. I'm sorry I was so much trouble. Uh, how about a cruise? A short one this time. Fine. That's all you have time for. The sea air might clear your head, Elliot. You untie the mooring line, start the engine, and guide the adventurer effortlessly out of the harbor toward the sea. No other craft in sight. It's a beautiful day for a cruise. But you see very little beauty. Sorry I gave you a bad time last night. I didn't mean to get out of hand. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> You'll have lots of time to make up for it. Yes, of course. You... You don't remember, do you? Taxi driver? No, I'm no, afraid. No, no. I mean... You don't remember that we got married, do you? Married? Oh, no. Oh, yes. I have the marriage certificate here, if you'd care to look at it, darling. You stare at the marriage certificate Yvette holds out to you. So that's what happened, Elliot. You and Yvette were married last night. And you don't remember, do you? But she proceeds to fill in the details. You are married at 3 o'clock in the morning, a small town over the border. Then on the way back, the taxi Yvette hailed after she made you park the car because you couldn't drive. The driver who took her back to her hotel brought you to the adventurer. Now you really have something to think about. You followed part of your lawyer's advice. You've married quickly, Ellie. But how wisely. Your eyes wander over the marriage certificate again. And suddenly the name Edward Duncan leaps out at you. You married her under an assumed name, didn't you, Elliot? And Yvette doesn't know who you really are. Now, look, Yvette, you've got yourself a bad deal, I'm afraid. Really? You're married to a man named Edward Duncan. 
Oh, that's the name you used, yes, but you're really Elliot Darby. What? Your wallet fell out of your pocket in the cab last night. Oh. Mrs. Elliot Darby. Hmm, I like that. I like that much better than Mrs. Edward Duncan. But the certificate... The name on the certificate isn't important. I can round up several witnesses, the justice of the peace, the cab driver. They'll identify you as the man I married. That's all that matters, Elliot, darling. Now, see here. It can't be, Yvette. I'm broke. Well, it just can't be, that's all. In the long run, it'd be much better for both of us if we got an annulment. Would it? I know it would. Since we both want to keep the whole thing quiet. Who wants to keep the whole thing quiet? I'm not ashamed of anything I did. I've tried to be nice about this, but since you want to brush me off... That's not the way to take it. That's the way I'm taking it, Mr. Darby. And don't think the newspapers aren't going to hear about this. And don't think my lawyer isn't going to find out just how broke you are. Now you're in real trouble, Elliot. If this ever hits the papers, you're ruined. And Catherine will never consider marrying you after this. Your ordered, efficient mind goes to work. And after a time, you reach a decision. A decision you feel is the only one you can reach. You slow the engine to an idle and go forward to Yvette staring out to sea. Yvette. Leave me alone. No, I, I've been thinking it over, Yvette. I'm willing to give the marriage a try. If you want to. I bet you are. No, I mean it. I have a hunch it'll work. Come here. Elliot. We're going to have a wonderful life together, Yvette. I hope so. Elliot, don't hold me so tight. <laughs> you, you're pushing me over. Elliot! Stop! Elliot, please! There wasn't a boat in sight when you pushed her overboard. You turned for the shore and set the engine full speed ahead. It's over, Elliot. All over for Yvette. The next few days, you nervously search every edition of the newspapers, but there's no mention of her death. You feel better. Even if the body is discovered now, you're certain it will be beyond identification. And you're confident there's no way of tracing the death to you. You'd been married to Yvette in Mexico under an assumed name. So you're in the clear, Elliot. You're sure of it. Now you can go ahead with your marriage with Catherine. A quick marriage on her terms. And then at the wedding... The shock of seeing Yvette there in the church was more than you could stand, wasn't it, Elliot? And you fainted. Now, as you return to consciousness, a doctor bends over you. You sit up with a start and quickly look for Yvette's face. The seat where you saw her is empty. Your head clears, and you're sure now it was only a momentary hallucination. Do you feel better now, Mr. Darby? Yes, I'm all right, Doctor. I'm sorry, Kath. Now, now, don't worry about it, Miss Peabody. Just a case of nervous exhaustion. Are you sure that's all it is? Oh, yes, yes. After all, Miss Peabody, you must remember marriage is a nerve-wracking experience for a man. (laughs) I don't know. How do you feel, Elliot? Are you well enough to go on with the wedding? Of course, darling. I'm ready and, and eager for the wedding.
After the honeymoon, you find married life rather pleasant, don't you, Elliot? Yes, you learn to accept Catherine's domination. Laugh off the occasional digs about it from your friends at the club. What pleases you most is your new job as manager of the Peabody Department Store. You like to run things with precision and efficiency. Yes. And everything is humming along smoothly until one afternoon several weeks after your marriage. Your secretary informs you there's a visitor in your outer office. A uh, Mrs. Duncan to see you, sir. Miss Evans, you know I don't accept outside appointments in the afternoon unless I... Who'd you say? Mrs. Duncan. Mrs. Edward Duncan. Oh, no, it can't be. Miss Evans, I don't want to see anyone. You tell Just her that I... Just a minute, I... Mrs. Duncan. Wait, you can't go in. Hello, darling. Yvette. Well, here I am, returned with the spray. How did you get back? There wasn't a ship or a sail in sight. One thing you didn't notice. There was a boy floating 200 yards away. A boy? I hung on to it for two hours before a fishing boat picked me up. Huh. I suppose you got me just where you want me, huh? What do you think? What are you going to do? Besides ruin your name and marriage? Oh, I could have you thrown in jail for bigamy and attempted murder. These matters might be a little more difficult to prove than you imagine, Yvette. Not when I know where I can locate a few fishermen, a bartender, and the man who married us. All right. How much do you want? Twenty-five thousand. Twenty-five thousand? I don't have that kind of money. You married millions, darling. Or did you forget I was at your wedding? Unfortunately, Catherine makes a careful distinction between her husband and her banker. With you around, I don't blame her. But you'll get it for me, won't you, Elliot? How? That, I'm afraid, is your problem. I get the money or the satisfaction of seeing you thrown into jail. Now, Yvette, if, if you listen to reason, I'm sure we can work something out. Make it good, darling. Uh, I, I'll give you a position here at the store. It, it'll be money coming in, just like an annuity. A job? <laughs> the best in the store. I'll make you a buyer. Women's ready to wear. Oh, a buyer. Well, you know, I think I'd like that. How much does it pay? Hundred a week. Make it two. All right. Fifty. Now look, Yvette, you can't. Fifty a week. All right. Then it's settled. You can put me on the payroll as of right now, hubby dear. It was a way out, wasn't it, Elliot? A way to buy off Yvette, the girl you thought you'd murdered after your marriage to her in Mexico. Now you're going to be very careful to conceal your new employee from your wife, Catherine. Catherine is always rather finicky about checking into new people at the store, particularly those in important positions. And so you bury Yvette's name in the company books, and no one pays any attention to it. And then one afternoon, Catherine decides to make a routine inspection of the store. You're doing a very good job, Elliot. Those new window displays are in excellent shape. Well, thank you, my dear. Uh, by the way, Elliot, I was speaking with Mrs. Cunningham on the second floor a while ago. Mrs. Cunningham? Oh, uh, women's ready to wear. Huh? Yes, yeah, she tells me that one of our new buyers sent us 50 suits that are just not saleable. Not to our clientele. A new buyer? Yes, uh, Mrs. Edward Duncan. Who is she? What's her background? And why didn't you tell me you'd hire her? Well, I... I'm sure I mentioned it, Catherine. I'm sure you did not. Uh, well, well, it must have slipped my mind then. Uh, come along, dear. We'd better step lively if we're going to get to that color television demonstration. Oh, Mrs. Darby. Mrs. Darby. Uh, what? Oh, Miss Evans. Yes, what is it? Mrs. Cunningham wanted me to tell you. She's waiting for you in the office. Mrs. Duncan is with her. Thank you. Catherine, what's this all about? 
Well, I've arranged a little meeting, Elliot. You run along to the demonstration. I want to have a little talk with this Mrs. Duncan. Well, Elliot, I finally met your other wife. That was quite a session we had in Mrs. Cunningham's office. Yes, yes, I Talk about third degree. That wife of yours is an expert. Well, that's that. She fired you. That's right. What are you going to do about it? What can I do? Nothing. I want $25,000, Elliot. How do you expect me to get it? I told you I I don't care. You can tell your wife the truth. Maybe she thinks you're worth your weight in gold. But if I don't hear from you by tomorrow, I'm going to the police. You spend a nervous, sleepless night, don't you, Elliot? Eliminating plan after plan. Until one key idea keeps repeating itself to you. Accidental death. Yes. It has to be something the police will consider a cut-and-dried case of accidental death. Not worth any serious investigation. Finally, you work out a detailed and foolproof plan. And the next day, Saturday, you phone Yvette from your office. You'll have the money? Yes. You meet me at the Beach Cafe tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. It's about 15 miles out of town on the coast highway. Left-hand side of the road. Now, you can't miss. All right, Elliot, but I don't see why you can't bring the money here to my apartment. Oh, please, Yvette. I don't want to take any chance of Catherine. Oh, I... you are frightened to death of her, aren't you? All right. Tomorrow night, Beach Cafe, 8 o'clock. Sunday. It's a beautiful day for a cruise, isn't it, Elliot? And that afternoon, you board the adventurer and set out to sea. You carefully follow the coast for 15 miles, anchor and row ashore in the dinghy. A few minutes before eight, you're standing in the shadows not far from the beach cafe, waiting patiently for Yvette to drive up. The money you uh, borrowed from the office safe is tucked away in your inside coat pocket. Time is important, isn't it, Elliot? And you're worried. And finally, you see your car drive up. And as the headlights pick you up out of the shadows, you wave to her. Well, what are you hiding out here for? Well, I'd rather not be seen, if you don't mind. All right, get in. You brought the money? Yes, here it is. You can count it. I don't have to. I know where I can always find you. Of course. Well... What do you plan to do with yourself now that you've made a small fortune? Oh, take a nice vacation. Then I think I'll shed my past. Divorce one Edward Duncan. You won't mind that, will you, Edward? No. Ah, right on time. What is? The train. So what? So this... Your fist catches her on the point of the jaw, and she slumps down on the seat. Quickly, you shove her out of the way and slide in behind the wheel. You turn off the highway into a side road and drive until you come to an unguarded railroad crossing and and stop the car on the tracks. You push Yvette back into the driver's seat and then grab the envelope with the $25,000 in it and start running down the road. When you're sure you won't be seen, you stop and turn and watch the train round the curve and bear down on the stalled car.
Goodbye, Yvette. This time, you won't be coming back. It's over, isn't it, Elliot? Yvette is out of the way now for good, and you're safe. You row back to the adventurer, take a leisurely cruise, and the following morning, as you always do on Monday morning, you dock at precisely 8 o'clock. Now you've only to drive back to the store, replace the $25,000 in the safe, and no one will ever know. You hurry off the boat and head for the parking lot. And as you do, you see a police car parked nearby. A police captain steps out of it as he sees you and he walks forward. Mr. Darby? Why, yes. I'm Captain Cannon. Your wife told us you'd be out here. What's the matter? One of your employees was killed in a train crossing accident last night. A woman named Yvette Duncan. Oh, terrible. Your wife told us you had hired Mrs. Duncan. Might be able to give us some information on it. Well, I'll help in any way I can, of course. We'd like to check the personnel records at the store, too. The records? Yes. Her application blank for one thing. We have to notify her husband. Or her parents. Oh. Well, I think you'll have better luck reaching her parents. She, she told me her husband had deserted her some time ago. He seems to have disappeared. Oh, really? Yeah, well, thanks. That'll save us some trouble. Uh, Captain, yes. this accident, uh, where did it happen? About a mile out of Crescent Cove. Her car was stalled in the train tracks. Killed instantly, I suppose. Yeah. Oh, uh, this your car? Yes, uh, do you mind if I drive to the store with you, Mr. Darby? You can tell me what you know about Mrs. Duncan on the oh, way. Of course I don't mind. Just a moment, I'll unlock it. There's a... Can't seem to open the door. Oh, these aren't my keys. Aren't they? My, my wife's probably... Mine here somewhere. Mind if I see those keys, Mr. Darby? I know, but... You... Oh, thanks. Hmm. The identification tag here shows license number 8Y5361. So what? That's the license number of the car Yvette Duncan was killed in. We've been looking for these keys, Darby, ever since we discovered that the ignition was turned off and the keys were missing from Yvette Duncan's wrecked car. No, no. I guess it's almost second nature to turn the motor off and slip the keys in your pocket when you stop a car. Isn't it, Mr. Darby? that whistle be your signal for the Signal Oil program, The Whistler. Marvin Miller speaking for the Signal Oil Company. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> 